0: Hello there, welcome to the Saroi channel wherever you are in the world and I really do hope you're doing marvellously well and that you're keeping lovely and cosy and warm. I've got the most fantastic story for you tonight that you're just going to love and let's get started with tonight's story. Dear Sarah and all your lovely listeners, my name is George and I've been building homes since I was 18 years old, much like my father and my grandfather before me. And I've constructed all kinds of homes from whimsical log cabins to wood homes, self-assemblies and brick homes, as well as renovating people's properties, modernising them or refurbishing them back to their original pristine condition. You name it and I've probably turned my hand to it with as much gusto and enthusiasm as a kid opening a Christmas present. As such is my passion for what I do. I've always been a pioneering spirit with creative and revolutionary ideas. Even on family beach holidays as a young boy, instead of surfing the waves, I would be building ingenious castles in the sand. So I think building things has always been in my blood, and I was always a dab hand with Lego blocks, I have to tell you. I have worked in building projects pretty much all over Appalachia, most especially West Virginia, Maryland, South Carolina, Georgia and Ohio, although I have built a couple of homes in Pennsylvania as well. My family has a home base in Georgia where we have a small plot of land all of our own and a pretty little red brick house that was actually inspired by a random trip to Barcelona where I fell in love with a red brick house I saw there and came back to recreate the stunning masterpiece myself. It's a very pretty home and the red brick does a lot to enhance the sumptuous rich greens of the shrubbery trees and grass. Our house is an idyllic place surrounded by exquisite views where we raise free range chickens a couple of horses, and grow our own vegetables. During the week, my wife spends her time at home raising our two young children, Tammy and Garth. I always return home for the weekends to spend as much time as possible with my family, which is imperative as my children will grow up so quickly and I want to enjoy every moment of their childhoods and not miss out on a thing. During the week, I live in my RV, which is really a great deal more comfortable than staying in hotel rooms, as it is my home away from home. I must say I enjoy the versatility of being able to move around from job to job in my home on wheels, so to speak. It's incredibly comfortable, as after a day's hard work, doing physically exhausting and gruelling work, I'm certainly not up to travelling long distances. And even if I was, it would be impossible to get to work on time with the very early starts at the building site. Wherever possible, I do enjoy the privilege of living on the site, and most of my clients like the security and convenience of having someone on hand all the time. My strange, incredulous story began when I was asked to build a property in the Blue Ridge Mountain area, close to Ashe County. I'd been given the job to build the farmhouse through a highly esteemed architect friend of mine, whom recommended my services to the client, a lady called Mrs Colbert. It would seem that Mrs Colbert had purchased a great deal of land. She wanted to build her dream home for her family. She had also chosen the perfect spot for the location. The original 1800s federal-style farmhouse that still stood on the premises was being preserved. The family was still living in it while the building work progressed. But Mrs Colbert was going to move her sister's family into the original farmhouse once the project was complete, and then her family would finally move into the brand-new home that we were creating for her. Well, that was the plan anyway. I understood that Mrs Colbert and her sister's family were exceptionally close and wanted to share the same piece of land. And why not if you can afford to? It was very much an exciting job, challenging and creative, and required skill and expertise. A knowledge of history and architectural plans specifically designed to complement the original Federal-style architecture. I work with a team of very talented, skilled, expert builders, and everyone was exceedingly excited about the job at hand, as it was situated on a vast acreage of land, surrounded by exquisite panoramic mountain views, sculptural rugged outcrops, pretty open prairies, vast areas of natural ubiquitous woodland, silvery ponds, enchanting creeks, and a glorious stream that meandered through the heart of the woodgreen. I had been given permission by the kindly Mrs. Colbert to park my RV on her land and live in this idyllic spot while the building project commerced, And I was happy about the prospect of manning the fort and enjoying the benefits of the pretty open countryside, fresh mountain air and mesmerising views while I was at it. And so began the challenging but awe-inspiring building project with bulldozers and hydraulic excavators to create trenches, holes and foundations. We created a very sizable clearing of flattened land, and to the rear of the property, several hundred yards from where we planned to build a large wraparound porch, was a very pretty pond that was flanked by cascading willows, and then stretched out to a vast resplendent looking sylvan. Mrs Colbert liked the idea of drinking pina coladas with her family while watching and observing the indigenous wildlife that frequented the pond for an early morning drink. She was a passionate animal lover, and was particularly fond of deer and she also loved interesting bird life, most particularly birds of prey like ospreys and eagles. The moment we began digging, I sensed we were being watched by unseen eyes, but this was not the first time I'd experienced such unusual phenomenon. Once on a building project in North Carolina, we had endured similar things, where unearthly, eerie paranormal phenomena were perceived. We certainly sensed the whole time that invisible eyes were studying us, which had always been very discomposing for us. We would hear strange apparitional talking that could never be discerned, as the phantom-like voices seemed muffled and far away. But sometimes we would hear our names being called, and that would invariably freak us all out, and send chilling shivers down our spines, and some of my workmen had bailed on me, as they were so traumatised by the spine-chilling events. If that wasn't hauntingly unsettling enough for you, some of us were even physically touched by invisible hands. But when we invariably turned around to see who tapped us, no one was standing there. So I was feeling more than a little creeped out, especially by the familiarity of harrowing memories from a building job that I would so much sooner forget. I pushed those thoughts back to one side and told myself to stop indulging my imagination with these crazy ideas and to focus on the job at hand. Yet despite my very best efforts, I failed to relinquish the spooky feeling that I was being watched. When I glanced towards the sylvan very briefly, I was almost certain that I had detected the silhouette of a dark shadow peering at me from behind a tree. Now I was really getting carried away in my imagination, I thought very angrily to myself. Suddenly Sid, who was managing the hydraulic excavator, stepped off the machine for a moment, saying that he had spotted something buried beneath the ground, and that was when we realised we'd dug up an old gravesite. We had unearthed the body of a massive giant humanoid skeleton that was exceptionally large and much bigger than a human's, with very long leg bones and a thick conical skull that was full of very sizeable teeth, far larger than your average man. I heaved a huge sigh of deep frustration. This was a massive setback because we would have to call the sheriff out in case there was anything nefarious or underhanded about our discovery. This had the potential to hold back our building project for weeks or even months on end, especially if the area was deemed to be a crime scene. I asked Sid, who was a man of few words, to call out the sheriff for us. We all stood over the gravesite, staring at the body in disbelief, or rather the skeleton, should I say, wondering if we were about to unearth some more nasty insidious surprises from beneath the earth. Suddenly we saw this massive boulder, and when I say massive, I mean massive. It was easily about five foot wide, six foot tall and incredibly heavy, and it was rolling down the valley at a very fast speed, and all three of us on the site automatically ran to stop it, because it was tumbling towards my RV, and could have potentially caused a great deal of damage. Luckily, the ROP did stop, and it failed to move any further, and was positioned several yards away from my parked RV, or mobile home if you like. Robin just gawked in astonishment and said, What the heck? How in God's name could something like this happen? It defies rational explanation. We were amazed by this extraordinary event because to push something this large and this heavy would take brute, almost superhuman strength. Where on earth had the boulder come from? And who on earth had pushed it? I looked towards the wood green to see if I could see anything or anyone standing there. But there was nothing in sight. Everything was very still. Someone or something must have pushed this massive stone, said Sid looking flummoxed. And where did it come from? All of us looked at the woods to see if we could see any more signs of movement, but everything was suddenly so airily still it actually sent shivers down my spine and my hair was standing on edge. I felt as if something was not quite right deep in my gut, but I wasn't quite sure what it was. Something is definitely watching us, piped Robin, looking at me with wide eyes. Please to God may this not be another building development that stirs up malevolent spirits. I don't think I could go through that all over again. Last time it happened, I literally needed trauma counselling. Feeling emotionally dishevelled and somewhat disturbed by the curious, incongruous sequence of events that had just transpired, with perplexed feelings of bewilderment, we finally returned back to the gravesite, and to our absolute amazement and utter horror, the bones had seemingly just vanished and disappeared into thin air. I mean, how does that happen? I had no comprehension of what had just transpired and began to think it was something paranormal that was out of our realm of understanding. I mean, I couldn't put it down to anything else, as it didn't make any logical sense at all. How could a gargantuan boulder come thundering down at a hill at such a fast speed, all on its own accord? And how on earth did a skeleton just totally dissipate into thin air, no longer to be visibly seen? When the sheriff arrived, I was heartily relieved to discover that Sid, my builder, who had a vocabulary of only a few words, had lived up to his reticent, evasive reputation. It appeared that on his telephone call to the sheriff's office, he had been very vague, indefinite and inexplicit, informing the sheriff to get to the building site at Fairfields at once, leaving the sheriff high and dry, and not even clear about who had actually called him. This was exceedingly fortunate as far as I was concerned, it meant that I didn't have to mention the skeleton that we had uncovered that had vanished before our eyes. I can only imagine how crazy we would have sounded at such a peculiar revelation. "'What's up?' said the sheriff, getting out of his car and closing the door behind him. "'I received a call to come out here.' "'Really?' I said, acting very surprised. "'Did anyone around here call the sheriff?' I said, looking around with shark eyes that clearly said, Don't say anything, or I might just bite. We all shook our heads in unison. No,pe. sorry, Sheriff, we never did call you out. The ample-sized, well-rounded Sheriff stroked his grey, wispy moustache pensively, in an introspective way, almost as if he was deeply engrossed in his own thoughts on the matter. He shook his head, looking ever so frustrated, and rather put out. Kids, he said. Who would have them? always up to their crafty little tricks during the school holidays, phoning me up to get me running around the place like a headless chicken. For some reason they think it's terribly funny to keep calling me out on these fake emergencies. I think I've a pretty good idea who the scheming little culprit is. The boy's mother needs to teach her son some manners and to send her kid to summer camp to get some sense knocked into that hare-brained head of his. He spends his time getting up to all kinds of trouble in the holidays, with nothing better to do with his time. If that mother doesn't watch him, he'll end up in jail one of these days, the little bugger. You know the saying, the devil makes time for idle hands. You must be right, Sheriff, I agreed. I'm sure it was that kid just winding you up and having a laugh at your expense. We breathed a sigh of relief as we watched the Sheriff get back into his car and drive away. I could see that he looked less than amused and sneakily suspected that he'd been called out on a doughnut break and was less than thrilled to be summoned away from the sweet delectable treats that he'd been looking forward to enjoying with a piping hot cup of coffee this morning. Woo! That was close, sighed Robin. Well, at least the disappearing skeleton means that we can pretend we never saw it and get on with the building, and so invariably that is exactly what we did. Two months passed and things were going exceedingly well on the building project and we were way ahead of schedule and had long since forgotten the incident with the skeleton, as since its mysterious erroneous disappearance, the strange feelings we'd once experienced of feeling watched had long since dissipated and been forgotten. It would seem that we were no longer being blightened or hampered by paranormal events, which was a monumental relief for the all of us. One afternoon, when we finished work early, I decided to take a light stroll into the Sylvan, and Robin agreed to join me. It was a lovely day. We took an ice bucket with us containing ice-cold beers and a few sandwiches. We ambled into the wood green, as Mrs Colbert had told us that the stream in there is so beautiful and was an exquisite spot to enjoy a picnic. As we walked through this bewitching, beguiling tree oasis, I really began to regret that I hadn't explored the spot before, because it was so magical and was almost as if we'd stepped into an epic, whimsical, enchanting fairy tale world that was as pretty as a picture. The trees were tall, towering, statuesque giants, many with remarkable gargantuan trunks that were covered in carpets of velvety green moss, and the canopy above our heads was like an exquisite parasol and it allowed just enough shafts of sunlight to dance through the branches, dappling the forest floor in various shades of speckled light. The forest floor was covered with pretty ferns and moss-covered boulders, and there was a few shade-loving flowers splashing the valley in kaleidoscopes of pretty colours. We could hear the soothing sounds of the water cascading down the rocky outcrops, and we could also hear the chirps and warbles of the uplifting birdsong. We ventured towards the stream and marvelled at the waterfall that jetted down this craggy, rugged outcrop with torrential floods of white water that flowed into the beautiful brook. Robin and I found a vast area of smoothed-out, flattened rocky crag that overlapped and jutted over the edges of the stream, much like a vast table ledge, and it was the quintessential spot to spread out our sumptuous picnic whilst enjoying the bedazzling views over this idyllic flowing watercourse. We hungrily ate our delicious tuna sandwiches and downed our beers thirstily. None of us said a thing, as indeed no words needed to be spoken. I think we were both equally transfixed and mesmerised by the exquisite beauty of this pretentious, legendary place. All of a sudden I heard a thumping sound, and the only way I can describe that sound to you is it was rather like something was hitting a tree very hard, almost like the knocking of a hammer being pounded against wood. Everything became very still for a moment and that was when we heard this very heightened buzzing noise that became alarmingly intense. That was when we observed these two massive dark hairy silhouettes that at first glance seemed to look rather like bears sprinting towards the stream at lightning speed with five foot strides on powerfully strong legs. They were being aggressively assaulted by an angry cloud of black buzzing bees that had launched a full-blown frenzied attack on the two critters. These curious-looking creatures dived beneath the water's surface and many of the frenetic feverish bees that I noted were attached to their long black shaggy coats in a large sea of buzzy movement was now drowned in the water while others flying in the air seemed to suddenly disperse and scatter as the two dark figures just suddenly disappeared and vanished from sight. The hysterical excitable bees quietened down considerably but still seemed rather confused because there were no more targets to attack. For a while, everything became calm, peaceful and quiet, and I couldn't see anything at all, as the cloud of bees just disappeared, rather like a shadow of dark, speckled smoke. It would seem that the tranquil gushing water hushed as everything became deathly still. After about three to five long minutes, two drenched heads popped out from under the water, where they had successfully held their breaths for quite some time. They began to make some excitable whooping sounds, and were splashing around in the water exuberantly. It was clear that they were very happy about something. Then one of the critters climbed out of the stream very quickly to return only moments later with a mass of honeycomb in his hands. And both the creatures sat in the shallow end of the stream, eating honeycomb in the water together. I realised that these two critters had been raiding a nest of wild bees, and although they were covered with hair, There were vulnerable areas on their skin, most especially their face, knees and sides of the torso under the arm area where the hair was less dense, that appeared to have developed some bumpy inflamed patches from the attack of the stinging bees. Nevertheless, they seemed unfraised and undaunted by the harrowing experience that they had just been through. These critters began to make the most orgasmic sounds as they enjoyed the honey. They looked like they were in heaven eating the sweet nectar, which dribbled down their faces and onto their hands, and I watched in awe as they licked the honey off their thick sausage-sized fingers. In all my born days, I don't believe that I've ever observed anything eat something with such gusto and relish. I think advertisers for honey products would hire them on the spot to advertise their honey, because I remember thinking to myself, Boy, does that honey look good. Oh my God, said Robin, looking at me in amazement. I think they're Bigfoot. The words hit me like a punch in the guts because my little daughter was passionate about Bigfoot and I had assured her not to believe the spurious accounts on television. I told her that they were all make-believe as Bigfoot was indeed not real. My wife had chastised me considerably and told me off for spoiling my child's whimsical belief in the hairy critter. She wants to believe he's real. Don't spoil her fun. You rarely are a wet blanket, she told me. You have no memory of what it's like to be a child. Let them dream, for goodness sake. Now here I was eating humble pie because I became horrifyingly aware that Bigfoot was indeed real. I was so stunned by this extraordinary revelation that I believe my fear was hijacked by shock, as seeing something you don't believe exists in our reality is very difficult to get your head around. Robin and I quickly took cover behind a rocky outcrop while we continued to watch the Bigfoot, who were completely oblivious to our presence, I'm glad to say. The two critters must have been about seven foot tall and about six to hundred pounds, with very lean muscular legs and overlong arms. Their torsos were stocky and solidly built, and the size of their shoulders were very gargantuan. They were covered in long, flowy, sandy-coloured hair and their heads were the shape of pyramids that seemed to fold into the shoulders in a sweeping flow with no evidence of a neck to speak of. The hairless, leathery, olive-skinned faces were long and the jawline square with a prominent, distinguished brow ridge, flat nose, thin mouth, and very deep-set golden brown eyes. I can see why people describe Bigfoot as an ape-like humanoid, as I'm certain he does possess human and ape DNA but I'm not an expert in these matters, nor do I claim to be. I'm not sure if I was correct, but I was pretty certain that the Bigfoots that we observed were actually quite young. I got that impression by their jubilant, youthful, mischievous energy, but I could of course be wrong. I did discern that they were taking their time to eat the honey, as they wanted to savour every single mouthful, and I thought that showed great intelligence and discernment on their part. There was no rush for them to gobble it all up at once, and they were eager to take their time. The critters sat in the shallow water for ages, rather like my wife does when she eats mangoes in the bath to avoid getting the sticky juices all over her. Maybe that's what the Bigfoots were trying to do. All I know is that Robin and I were so transfixed and amazed by what we were observing that we barely noticed the sun setting and the darkness rolling across the valley and that was when I realised it was getting dark and late. The critters were still playing in the water together when we sneaked away and left them. Luckily, we managed to make our way back to my RV, where I persuaded Robin to sleep in my spare bed. I just knew that I wanted to talk the whole night about what we'd seen and perceived. I couldn't share my experience with anybody else, so he was the one I wanted to talk to about it. Who else would ever believe our story?' As Robin and I began to talk, we both reflected back to the very first day that we had found the large skeleton in the ground, and we began to put the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together, and got a clear picture of what really had happened. We are both absolutely certain that the skeleton we found buried beneath the ground was not human at all, but rather that of a large Bigfoot based on the elongated skull shape and the size of the skeleton. We had sensed that something had been watching us when we began bulldozing the area. I now believe emphatically it was a worried family of Bigfoot that were highly concerned we were digging up the remains of a long-lost relative. As a result, they created a diversion by rolling a massive boulder towards my RV so that all my builders were distracted by the incident and diverted from the gravesite. It would seem that Bigfoot had rescued the bones from the ground while we were momentarily distracted." They possibly reburied those bones somewhere else. Robin and I were now certain that this is what had transpired. We were in awe at the intelligence of these creatures who are so successful at remaining elusive, evasive and invisible. We had watched them on this afternoon successfully recover a large honeycomb from a bunch of frenzied bees. My guess is that they'll possibly keep going back for more, as I very much doubt they destroyed the whole nest. They're too clever for that. Robin and I also marvelled that we hadn't actually been scared the whole time. We most certainly should have been, but it would be hard to imagine the joyful critters becoming aggressive towards us, as they were so high on sugar. Robin informs me that when his wife gets very grumpy, he will buy her something very rich and sweet and sticky, much like a chocolate brownie, and he says it works like a charm every time in putting his wife into a good jovial mood. No wonder they say that sugar is as addictive as cocaine. I think possibly we sense the Bigfoots were no threat to us based on their good mood. But maybe things would have been remarkably different for us if we had faced Bigfoot on a rather bad day when his stomach was empty. I know if I haven't eaten, I get very grouchy, but once my belly is full, I'm one happy man. Could Bigfoot be as predisposed towards mood changes as much as we are? that could ultimately affect the kind of encounter we might have with the critter should our paths cross. After our project was finished, I always reflected on the Bigfoots we saw that day. Robert and I get together from time to time to discuss it, but until now we've not shared our story with anybody else. He did give me permission to share my story with you though. I did however tell my daughter once that I believed Bigfoot might be real after all. My daughter was incredibly delighted, and my wife even gave me a hug. That's much more like it, she said. I do like it when you humor the kids. It's a very nice thing to let your children dream, you know. So there you are. That's my story. My word! Who would have thought that Bigfoot would have had such a sweet tooth and want to go after the honey? He's more clever than we think. Until next time, goodbye and good night.